All right. If you're new tonight, I want to say welcome. I'm so glad you decided to come. It's a big thing to come out and hang out with a group of people that you've never met before. So I just want to encourage you and say thank you for coming. We're glad you're here. And our prayer is that you would, one, encounter God, and, and two, find a community where you feel at home. So I pray that that would happen for you. So growing up, I always had this idea of Jesus. I loved the idea of Jesus. You know, I've been told about Jesus from the time I was young, and I thought of him as an attractive person. And I'd even, you know, prayed a prayer to accept him as my savior, even as a four-year-old. But until I was in high school, I never really encountered him in such a way that it changed me. I think sometimes we have ideas about God, and we accept Jesus as our savior, whatever that means exactly, but we don't give him full leadership of our lives until we have this encounter where we, or where we realize that he's actually worth giving everything to. And, and for me, it took getting to the end of myself to finally give him full leadership of my life. I kind of would give him parts of it. Like, I'm sure you can relate with me. I'd give him parts, just like a little bit here, a little bit there. I might go to church. I might read the Bible once a year on my own, and then I'd feel really good about it, post it on Instagram if we had it back then, but we didn't. But, uh, it was just kind of this uh, relationship where I had this, like, this long-distance view of him, but I didn't really encounter him until I got to this place where I realized that I was so sinful. I'd done everything that I never thought I would do. I came to this place where I realized that I needed to encounter Jesus in his fullness to really change. And I asked God, I said, God, could you forgive me for all these things I've done? And Jesus revealed himself to me. And the thing I found when I finally had a revelation, a true revelation of Jesus was love is so ferocious that it does two things. One, it calls you out and says you're forgiven. It says, hey, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. I'm going to forgive you. But then at the same time, it doesn't only do that, but it also calls you out in the sense that it calls you to new life. It calls you to leave your sin and, and to live this new life that the Bible talks about. And for me, that happened after my senior year of high school. But then once I encountered Jesus in this real way, it changed everything in my life. And sure, there's still sin in my life. I still struggle, okay? I'm the first to admit that I struggle with sin, but there's this encounter that I said, I'm going to try my best to follow him after this. I'm going to try my best uh, to leave sin. I'm not just going to let sin sit in my life. So maybe you can relate with my experience growing up. You know, you have this idea about Jesus. You've heard about him. You've heard that he's incredible. You see people singing to him, and you're wondering, like, why are they pouring their hearts out before him? but you've never truly encountered him in this, in this powerful way that changes you. So maybe a friend or a parent or a grandparent has told you about Jesus. You've heard about him from other people, but you've never really encountered him for yourself. And you've never encountered him in such a way that it changes you. Or maybe you've had an encounter with Jesus. You've gotten a glimpse of him at some point in your life, but you fail to really or to really walk in this active, committed relationship. Like your relationship is very often on. It's complicated, as Facebook would say, right? It's a complicated relationship. You hang out with him at retreats. You hang out with him at church when you can go. But then throughout the week, you don't really acknowledge him. Like, like you don't really live in this intimate relationship with him. So you've gotten a glimpse of him, but it's failed to really stick. Or maybe still, you've heard a lot about Jesus from church. You've heard a lot about Jesus from culture. And some things you hear are contradictions of each other. You hear this kind of Jesus, like there's many different Jesuses, and the question is, will the real Jesus stand up? And you don't really know who the real Jesus is yet. 
Because you've heard all these different Jesuses. You've heard about this Jesus that's, that's, uh, that's more conservative, or you've heard about Jesus that's more liberal, and you really don't know who is Jesus Christ. Who is this Jesus of Nazareth? But no matter where you're at, I believe that deep inside each of our hearts, we have this desire to know God. There's this little flame. Maybe it's really small and dim for some of us, but there's this flame that desires to know God. And we want to know who he really is, not just a God that, or God that we create in our own mind, but a real, true God that can't be put in a box. And the Bible tells us that to know God, we must meet Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth. So if the Bible is true, if we want to know God, then we want to know Jesus. That's what our heart really longs for deep down. Deep inside, we long to meet the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, Jesus Christ, right? That's who we long to meet. And one of the best ways we can encounter this Jesus is through the scriptures. It's through the New Testament specifically. And the best way to encounter him is to read the gospels and to watch the way he did life. Or to watch, or to pay attention to his encounters with people and the things that he said to them. So with that said, tonight we're going to begin a series called Encounters with Jesus. And what we and the thing we want to do is we want to take some time just to look at a few different encounters. We'll probably do three, maybe four, but to look at three different encounters in the Bible that Jesus has with people to try to get to know him better. And the thing we want to pay special attention to, so the thing I want you to really focus on, is how do people respond to Jesus? So don't just pay attention to the way that he does life, but pay attention to the way that people respond. And there's common ways that people responded when they came in contact with Jesus of Nazareth. There's common ways that they responded. It's very radical ways that they responded. And if you look at your life and you see that you're not, if you're not responding to Jesus in the same way that they are, maybe you're not really encountering the real Jesus. So that's what we want to do. We want to look in the Gospels and, and see Jesus. And, and for our series graphic, we chose this picture of a lion to represent Jesus because Jesus is truly like a lion. There's a song that came out about 10 years ago called that. It's not good, but it's, yeah, anyways. But Jesus is like a lion because he's ferocious, he's majestic, he's powerful. And in the scriptures, he's even called the Lion of Judah. So he comes from this tribe in Israel called the Judah, or the tribe of Judah. And the lion is the symbol of Judah, and they call him the Lion of Judah. So C.S. Lewis, he's this famous author, he popularized or popularized this image of Jesus as a lion in his classic novels, The Chronicles of Narnia. So maybe you've seen the movies, maybe you read the books, but in the books, there's this character called Aslan, and, and he's a lion, and he's meant to represent Jesus. And this is what they say about Aslan. They say, Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. Ooh, said Susan, I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? I shall rather feel nervous about, about meeting a lion. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. So there's a beaver talking. It's all good. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. So that's something I want you to get throughout this series, that Jesus is not safe. He is not safe at all. Like, he does not let you live your life the same way you did before. Like, once you meet Jesus, he asks for full leadership of your life, and he will accept nothing less, okay? So he's not safe, but he's good. He's good, and you can trust him that he's going to lead your life in the best way that it should be led, okay? So if you have your Bibles... Turn with me to Luke chapter 5. That's where we're going to kind of kick off our series. And in Luke 5, Jesus had just begun his ministry, and he had began or begun calling people to leave everything to follow him. He's so powerful, beautiful, and majestic that people 
are willing to leave their previous pursuits to follow him. People are attracted to Jesus, and they're willing to do whatever it takes to get before him. And something you see, specifically in Luke 5, is that people are trying to get before him so that he can touch them and heal them. There's a leper who comes before Jesus and begs him to heal him, and Jesus touches him, and boom, he's made clean. And there's also this uh, the story in Luke 5 where there's a, par- or a paralytic who's lifted down from the ceiling into the room that Jesus is in. Uh, the friends do that so that Jesus can heal their friend who's a paralytic. And Jesus heals the paralytic, and he says, your sins are forgiven. So people are trying to get before Jesus. Uh, Jesus is turning the world upside down. And immediately following these accounts, this is where we get to Jesus' interaction with Levi. And Levi is also referred to as Matthew in other accounts in the Gospels. Because Matthew's the Greek name and Levi is the Hebrew name. Okay, it's the same person, but, uh, but uh, Levi is a tax collector who began following Jesus here in Luke 5. And, and he actually becomes one of Jesus' 12 disciples. So he becomes kind of a big deal, right? And the story of Levi's calling gives us a glimpse of God's heart for the outcast. Because Levi was a tax collector, and you probably don't understand that. Because like, we don't have tax collectors walking around you know, saying, give me your coins, right? But Levi was a Jewish person who collected money from his own people to give to Rome, the conquering empire. So people don't like others who take their money, right? So Levi was not liked by the Jewish people, and he would be considered an outcast. This is not someone you'd want to be friends with or even be seen with, but Jesus takes a different approach, and he thought that this Levi was worth uh, befriending. So this story shows us the love of God for people who least deserve it. It shows us the love of God for people who least expect it. Levi was not expecting to be shown love that day. But Jesus comes to him, he calls him to follow him, and it shows us some really important principles about who Jesus is. So let's look at it. It's Luke 5, verse 27 to 32. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. And then later on, it doesn't say that, but it's later on, the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answers them. He says, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but instead sinners, to repentance." So the main idea is this tonight, if you're taking notes. An encounter with Jesus causes us to leave the things that hold us back and to embrace a life of mission. That's the main idea. And the sermon is called Encounter to Mission. So encounter leads to mission. When you encounter Jesus, it should cause you to take up this mission. All right, so let's pray over this, and then we'll jump into the teaching. God, we thank you for tonight. Uh, God, I thank you for every student who's here. I thank you that you brought them here to hang out with us. God, I pray that each and every student would get a glimpse of who you are tonight. God, I pray that we would not just accept religion. God, I pray that we would not just accept something that is made up in our heads, but instead that tonight we would each encounter the one true living God in Jesus Christ. So Jesus, we ask you to reveal yourself. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so I just want to go verse by verse like I typically do and get some ideas out of this, okay? So verse 27 and 28 says this. It says, After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. 
And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. So the first thing that happens when you encounter the real Jesus, okay, the real Jesus stands up, you encounter him, something happens. What happens? It's this. You leave your old life. That's what happens. When you meet Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, you leave your old life. I'm sure Luke leaves out a few details here, but from uh, the information we're given, all Jesus does is he approaches this man, this man who's been exploiting his own people, this man who's been getting rich off his own people, this uh, this low-life man, and simply just says, hey, follow me. And at Jesus' simple request, he gets up and he leaves everything. He leaves everything and follows him. He leaves his wealth, his dreams, everything he had ever worked for. He got a bachelor's degree at UNI in tax collecting, and he left that. He found Jesus so magnetic, so beautiful, so powerful, so worth following, that he left everything at the mere request of Christ. At his mere request, he leaves everything. And this wasn't the only time this happened in the Gospels. It happens over and over and over again. People get a glimpse of Jesus, and they leave their previous pursuits for the greater pursuit of knowing him and making him known. So when people followed Christ during his ministry, they literally had to leave everything to follow him because, or because Jesus constantly traveled. He didn't have a home. He constantly traveled and ministered and healed people. So to follow him, you had, or when asked to follow him, you really had two choices. The first one was this. You say, uh, no, I'm not going to follow you. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to continue living here and making money and doing my own life. Okay, that's what normal people do, right? The second choice is to get up, to leave everything, and to say, I'm going to travel with you. I'm going to follow you to the ends of the earth. So two choices if you, if you were asked to follow Jesus. And if you decided to follow him, there had to be this decisive break with your old life. This decisive cutoff point where it's like, okay, the old life's over there, and now I'm walking in the new life. So Levi said, I'm leaving all this over here, and I'm going to follow Jesus wherever he leads me. This illustrates an important spiritual reality that still faces us today. When Christ comes to you and asks you to follow him, like there's no medium choice. There's no choice to say, oh, I kind of want to follow you and do my own thing. There's two choices. We, one, say no and continue doing our life the way we want to, or two, we say yes, and we make him our master and our king, and we follow him to the ends of the earth. There's two choices, and this may not mean that you have to leave your job and to leave all your possessions and your family of origin, but it does mean that he becomes king. It does mean you submit your life to him. It's like you submit your resignation and say, I'm done being the king of my life. Jesus gets to be the king from now on. So when you come into the family of God and make Jesus Lord, he becomes the decision maker in your life. Even more so, you must make a decision to leave the things that hold you back from a vibrant relationship with Jesus, to leave those sins that are tangling your life. So what does sin mean? It just means to miss the mark. So anything that just misses the mark for God's intention for your life, you have to leave those things. You have to make a decision. And guess what? That does not mean that you're perfect because I still sin a lot. It happens a lot, okay, because I'm a human being, right? But it's this decision to say, I'm not going to let my sin take rule in my life and just submit to it and say, okay, I'm just going to decide to do this sin. I'm just going to decide to be really greedy because I want to be greedy. I want to buy stuff. I want the American dream. But instead, you make a choice. You say, okay, whenever I feel greed kind of coming up in my heart, I'm going to repent of it and say, Jesus, I don't want that. Jesus, I choose you. I choose you over money. I choose you over sex. I choose you over all these other lesser things. 
And I want to put everything in the paradigm of what you want. So yes, Jesus will give you money at times. Like he'll let you steward it, right? And you can have sex inside marriage. It's amazing. It's incredible. Get married. Do it. Okay? I'm encouraging that. But it has to come under Jesus' rule and reign. It's okay to laugh, guys. It's not saying so serious. But anyways, everything has to come under his rule and reign. So if Jesus says, like the Bible says, don't have sex until you're married. So you don't have sex until you're married. Okay? Simply put. So that leads me to my next idea. Or it's not a point on the screen, but but to figure out what God wants for you, the place to look is the scriptures. It's the Bible. We don't just like, you know, carry this around and say, oh, that's just a suggestion. I don't feel like doing that. That's really hard. I'm not going to do that. That's hard. No, instead we say, this kind of sits over my life, and I submit to it. I submit to what it says. And obviously you have to interpret it correctly. Okay, I don't want you just doing uh, just literally every single thing it says, because there's some things that were for particular time and places. But it means that you submit to the scripture. In 2 Timothy 3, uh, 16 through 17, it says, all scripture is breathed out by God. So this, like these scriptures, they're breathed out by God. It's like his breath. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. <clears throat> yeah, so the point is, read the Bible. It's incredible. There's good stuff in here. It's just boring for the first few days you read it. It gets better after that. Trust me, once you start to understand it, it gets better. Have your small group leader help you read it. But begin to read it and then submit to it. It says, do this. Okay, I'm going to do that. It says, don't do this. Okay, I'm going to try not to do that now. And I promise you, because I've been trying to do it for seven years, like when you submit to this book, your life is way better. It really is, because God knows what he's talking about, right? So he kind of created us. He designed us. He like is the one who made the machine. He's given us instructions, and we should follow that. Like when you get a new toy, you don't say, oh, throw out the instructions. I'm going to do whatever I want. Instead, you say, okay, God's given me instructions. I'm going to follow it. All right? So there's that. I love the Bible. All right? So you must know, though, that, uh, that when you're leaving these old things, it doesn't mean that you're trying to earn God's love. Okay? That's such a battle. Such a battle for us as people who want to, or as people who are generally driven. You know, you're in college, you're driven, and you want to prove yourself. It's tempting to try to earn God's love, to think that, hey, if I behave well this week, then God loves me. That's not the way it works. God loves you before you've done anything, and then out of that you obey him. So you're obeying out of a response to God's love. So the gospel, the good news of Christ, is not obey and then you'll be loved. That's what some people teach. That's not the gospel. That's not the good news. That's really bad news because I can't obey on my own, right? Because if that's the gospel, then I'll never be loved because I cannot obey. But the gospel is, it's you're deeply loved, and you're deeply forgiven. And now, because you're already loved, you're already called my chosen one, you're already called my son and daughter, out of that, you can obey out of gratitude and love. The love of God is what compels us to change. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. We've encountered the real Jesus who loves us so much that he gave his life for us. We'll do whatever it takes to love him back because his love has filled our heart and we simply want to respond and love him in return. In 1 John, again, it says this in, in chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. It says, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. You know, some of you are scared right now. I'm just being honest. When I read this, I'm like, oh, crap. All right, so, but whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that, or by this we know that we're in him. Whoever says he abides in him, or just remains in Jesus, ought to walk in the same way 
in which he walked. So if you're following Christ, then you're going to walk in the way that he walked. You're going to keep his commandments. You're going to make a decision to leave the things that strangle your relationship with God and follow him. And again, you will not be perfect, but throughout your life, you'll progressively become more like Christ as you continue to repent of your sin and say yes to God's dream for your life. 1 John 2.15 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. So Jesus, or John here is not saying don't love people. That's not what he's saying. Like, I hate the world. You all suck. No. Sorry, I shouldn't have said suck. But anyways, it's not saying that. It's saying don't love the things of the world. Don't love the pleasures of the world. Don't love money. Don't, or don't put all these other things before God. Instead, love the Father. So C.S. Lewis again, he's a genius. He says this. To have faith in Christ means, of course, trying to do all that he says. There would be no sense in saying you trusted a person if you would not take his advice. Thus, if you've really handed over yourself to him, it must follow that you are trying to obey him. But you're trying in a new way, in a less worried way. And you're not doing these things in order to be saved, but because he's begun to save you already, and not hoping to get into heaven as a reward for your actions, but in inevitably wanting to act in a certain way because the first faint gleam of heaven is already inside of you. Dang, that'll preach. That'll preach. Read the book. It's good. Mere Christianity. All right, so when I first got to you and I, like I was a lovesick guy. Okay, every girl I met, especially Christian girls, it's like, they're going to be my wife. Definitely. Definitely. They're Christian. They semi-love Jesus. Definitely going to be my wife. So on the first uh, Sunday, back then the river met on Sundays, I went to the river and I met a Christian girl. I was like, yes, a Christian girl. That's what happens. You go to campus ministries, okay? Just saying, if you want to meet someone Christian, you should go to campus ministry. But anyways, I meet this girl. I kind of start dating her. It was really a bad situation, to be honest. I won't get into the details, but she had a boyfriend. She dumped her boyfriend for me. Uh, She's now married to that boyfriend, okay? So I feel terrible about that. But anyways, I was a freshman. That happened, and then I come to Kai Alpha on Thursday, so some of you have been doing that. You've been going to like three campus ministries a week. Trust me, at some point you'll get too tired to do that. But I tried doing that too the first couple of months. Right, so I went to Kyle on Thursday, and I see this girl named Emily, and she is pretty. She's beautiful, all right? And I'm like, dang, that could be my wife. But I already started dating this other girl kind of. I'm like, okay, what do I do here? So being an idiot, I kind of would talk to both of them, other girls. It was bad. But so the Thursday night, because back then Kyle met on Thursday. It's the Thursday night before fall retreat. So it's the Tuesday night before fall retreat right now, right? Okay, so the Thursday night before fall retreat, the speaker comes. He's like 25, 26. He's got this beautiful wife. Uh, they got this incredible marriage. And he speaks. And I'm sitting on the drums, because I played drums back then. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I want that so badly. I want to be in ministry. I want to have a wife who is beautiful inside and out, and a wife who is for me, not for someone else. And I had to make the tough decision to go break it off with that other girl. So that night, I broke it off with her. She was very angry at me, especially when I started dating Emily a couple weeks later. That's not good, okay? So I did that. But the point is, then I went to fall retreat that weekend. I happened to be in the same car as Emily. So guys, just sign up for the girl car. It's all right. If you're the only dude in there, I'm just saying. I'm kidding. (laughs) But uh, don't do that. I mean, you can if you want. But anyways, I'm riding with Emily. And I just have this incredible experience at fall retreat. I told you about it last week. You know, kind of put everything before Jesus. Wasn't even thinking about girls. And then just a few weeks later, I realized that God was bringing Emily into my path because she was supposed to be my wife. I thought that before we got married, and it came true. We're having a baby in a couple of weeks. But the point, so the point I'm trying to make is it took a tough decision 
to walk into God's will for my life. It took the decision of saying, I'm going to cut off this old relationship that's not healthy, that's not of God. And then as I did that, God brought me into this new destiny, into this new life. And I don't know if you guys have any tough decisions that are kind of on your heart, but I just pray that you would just not wait and just obey Jesus. If he's told you to do something, just obey him. Like leaving the old life and following the new life is way better. It's hard in the moment, but it's so worth it when you get to walk in God's will for your life. Okay, so I just want to encourage you with that. So verse 29 says this, And Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with him. So the second point is this, when you encounter the real Jesus, the real risen Lord, something happens. You invite other people to meet him. You invite other people to meet him. So Levi leaves his lucrative career, and he decides, the first thing he decides, I love this. He's like, I'm throwing a party. I'm bringing Jesus. I'm bringing my friends, and I'm going to get them to talk. It's going to be incredible. He encounters this person who's more beautiful than any other person he's ever encountered, and he knows that he has to introduce his buddies to him. He knows he has to get Jesus in front of as many people as possible. And Levi's simply doing, or he's simply doing what humans do, right? Like when we find something we love, we go and tell other people about it. We say, you got to try out this restaurant. It's amazing. It's going to change your life. If you find this new app on your phone, like Flappy Bird was a big deal like five years ago. I don't know if you remember that. But I remember I loved that game. I told everybody about it. You got to play Flappy Bird. It's so good. So when Levi met Jesus, he's like, you got to meet this guy. He's healing people. He's preaching with authority. He loves me even though I'm screwed up. This Jesus is incredible. It's important to note, too, the people that he invites to the party. He doesn't invite just the religious people like, oh, this will be easy because religious people like religious leaders. So I'm going to bring religious people to the party. That's what some of us do sometimes with church. We're like, I'm going to bring the people who are already Christians because I know they'll say yes. Stop doing that. Don't invite people to Kyle from other campus ministries. Just let them go to their campus ministry. They've already found one. They've chosen it. Just let them be there. It's great, okay? Go and find people who don't know Jesus. That's what we want to do, right? We're not trying to steal people from other ministries. We're trying to find people who don't know Jesus. So please do that because, because these people need Jesus, he knew that his buddies, who were tax collectors and sinners and unclean, needed to meet Jesus. <clears throat> it's incredible that, or to picture this. These people are sitting at the same table as God. Okay, so Jesus is God, and these are the lowest of the low people, and they're just chilling with God. Like, what does that tell us about God? He loves the people who are the furthest from him. Like, you may think that person in your class who gets angry when you talk about religion or politics or whatever, like, you may think, they'll never come to know Jesus. They're too angry. And God says, watch me. He says, watch me encounter them. I just want to encourage you guys to, or to not make decisions for people and say, oh, they're never going to follow Jesus and just never tell them about him. Go and try. You may get rejected. You probably will most of the time. But for those few times that people respond positively and they accept Jesus and they encounter him as well, it's worth it, right? It's worth it because they meet Jesus Christ. So when you've encountered the line of Judah, you want to go tell other people about him. This is what God is calling us to as a group. I really want to see us going after our campus more than we are right now. Okay, like I want to go after our campus. And I'm not just trying to get all the Christians to come here. No, we don't got time for that. Like that's fine. We have plenty of campus ministries. Let's go and get the people who don't know Jesus. Let's be active about it. Let's be looking in our classes. And as we walk around campus, as we're in our dorms, let's look for opportunities to share Jesus with people. Let's commit to laying aside our own comforts and our own desires to reach out to our friends. Let's say, 
I'm not going to give in to my personality and say, oh, I'm an introvert, so I can never share anything with anybody else. But instead, get out of your comfort zone and go share Jesus with other people. And that doesn't mean you go stand up on a box in the union and preach the gospel. Although if you do that, props to you. That's cool. I think that takes a lot of guts. I'm just saying. But this means that you go and you look for people. And you try to be the best friend that people could ever have. And then when you're given an opportunity, you go and you share the message of Christ with them. So what does this look like? I already shared the first thing. The first thing we do, if we're going to go and share Jesus with our campus, is we seek out opportunities to share God's love. Okay? That's simply put. It could be helping someone with their homework. It could be being a shoulder to cry on. It could be just being someone to talk to. It could mean sitting with someone in the dining center who's sitting by themselves and seems like they want to sit with other people. Like those people who are sitting at the bar, they probably don't want to sit with other people. That was me a lot of times. But those people who are sitting at a huge table all by themselves, they probably want you to sit with them, right? I don't know if that happens. I'm just playing around. But the point is, if there's someone sitting by themselves, you go sit with them. You go talk to them. It's not going to kill you, I promise. Second thing you should do is invite your friends to see what God is doing in Chi Alpha. That's an unashamed plug right there to bring your friends on Tuesday nights, to bring your friends to small group. And the reason for that is the best witness to the world of Jesus is the people of God. The best witness that people will get is the people of God coming together, serving one another, and loving each other. So invite people. Say, hey, you don't have to raise your hands in worship. You don't have to believe what we believe, but just come and be a part one night and see what you think. Invite people to journey with you, to come with you to Chi Alpha. Bring your friends. Go out throughout your floor before small group and say, hey, come with me to small group. We're just going to talk about life and talk about the Bible. I encourage you to do that. What would happen if every one of us made a commitment to, or to do those things? To invite people to be part of this. To invite people who are far from God to see what God is doing in Chi Alpha. All right, so there's one more thing we got to get and then we're done. It's in verses 30 through 32. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a doctor. I don't like saying that word, so I'm just going to say doctor. But those who are sick have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. So the third thing, if we want to stay on mission, okay, so the first two things were about our mission, which is to leave our old life and love God, and then secondly, to go tell others about him, right? But if we want to stay on mission, we have to remember that Jesus is for the sick. Jesus has come for the sick. These religious leaders are questioning Jesus eating and drinking with the tax collectors and sinners. In Jewish culture, this was unheard of for a religious leader to sit down with tax collectors and sinners and to hang out with them. Because when you eat with someone, when you share food with them, it's saying that you're their friend. So Jesus was saying, I'm their friend when he ate with them. And the religious leaders are blown away. They're saying, how can you possibly be friends with sinners who could make you unclean as well? And it's actually the disciples were the ones being addressed, but Jesus, being the papa bear that he is, jumps in and says that he's friends with sinners because it's sinners who need a savior. To need a doctor, you first need to be sick. Jesus did not come for those who think they're good. Those who are furthest from God are those who think they're good. Those who are prideful. Pride is the great sin. Like sometimes we think, oh, the people who get drunk, the people who have sex before marriage, they're the ones who are furthest from God. And yes, they need to leave those things and follow Jesus. I'm not saying that they shouldn't. But the people who are furthest from God are the prideful people who don't actually have relationship with Christ, but they think they're all good. That they've earned salvation on their own. Pride is absolutely abhorrent to God. God has come for the sick. 
for those who are ready to repent of their sins. So John 3.16, verse or through 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. If we want to stay on mission, if we want to be a community that's moving forward, that's inviting people to join us, then we need to remember that this isn't about us. This is not all about us. It's not just for us to feel good on Tuesday nights. This is so people can see a representation of the kingdom of God and repent and come to know Jesus. That's why we do this. That's why we exist, to give people an opportunity to encounter the love of God and to grow in relationship with Jesus and others. That's our mission statement. If you checked out our website, good job. That's it. That's our mission, to give people opportunity to encounter the love of God. But if you're going to stay on mission, if you're going to remember this, then you have to know that Jesus has not come just for us. He's come for those who are furthest from him. He's come from I come for those who are furthest from him. So like Levi, our encounters with Jesus cannot stop at just enjoying his presence and just having great times with God. But then we need to go and find other sick people in our community on this campus to introduce Jesus to. And remember this. As you go out and you try to find sick people to introduce Jesus to, remember that it it is not your job to heal them. It is not your job to convert people, to force them into obeying Jesus. It is not your job. The Lion of Judah can take care of that. It is not your job. Jesus is the one who changes hearts. So notice Levi didn't go right away and say, hey, you need to obey Jesus and follow him. All he did was say, hey, I'm having a party, and this guy's going to be here, and you should talk to him. So I'm just saying, like Tuesday night, it's like Jesus is here. He's here right now. He's hanging out with us. The people of God are gathered. You know, the Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be there with them. So Jesus is here. Invite people, like yes, share the gospel with them, but invite people and let Jesus do the work. And as you're sharing uh, your story and the story of God, just let Jesus do the work. You don't have to take the pressure of changing people because we can't change anybody. Jesus is the one who changes people. All right, so the band would come up. The singers can wait. Um, I just want to share one more story and then we'll be done. So 22 years ago, a secretary in a doctor's office demonstrated the power of inviting people to meet Jesus well. This woman happened to be a pastor's wife, and she loved Jesus a lot. And one of the patients in her office who came in for checkups was a young 20-something girl with five kids. Okay, so imagine having like three kids already. Okay, she had five kids, and, and she's rough around the edges. This patient was caught up with rough people, her entire family had been in prison, okay? So just not like the type of person you necessarily want to hang out with. And she was always late, like I said, just not pleasant. But the secretary said, I'm making a commitment to love this young woman, even though she's annoying, even though she's not pleasant. And about a year after working with her, something happened in this lady's life. Uh, the young patient got into a car accident and broke her neck. She was drinking and driving and, and broke her neck. And, and the secretary pastor's wife decided that she was going to do everything she could in this moment of crisis to introduce this woman to Jesus. So despite being an introvert, being scared out of her mind, she goes into the hospital room where the, or the, or where the woman's laying with halo, or bolt screwed into her head because she had a halo on. She goes in, her family, who's all been in prison, right, is sitting in there, and she goes up to the woman. She's all scared, just a little lady, goes up and says, I'm just here to tell you that God kept you alive for a purpose and you need to figure that out. Can I pray with you? Prays with her and walks out. Doesn't say anything else. 
And then there's an opportunity that comes up after this because uh, this woman had you know, five kids, so she needed someone to watch her kids. So the secretary said, hey, I'll watch your kids during the week. So on her day off, she'd watch the kids and, and just talk with her when she had opportunities and, and just share Jesus as it came up. And about six months later, three months later, I'm not sure, somewhere in there, like in that range, like three to six months, this woman in the middle of the night who has her head, her neck broke, she gets up in the middle of the night and just makes a decision. She says, I've seen Jesus demonstrated to me through this woman and I want him to be, or to be my king as well. And she was the first Christian in her entire family. She changed the trajectory of her family and that person happens to be my mom, right? So then I grow up with a Christian family. My dad gets saved. I grow up in this family who is Christian to everybody else, but, but before my mom and dad, like there's no Christians in my family. And now every single student who puts their faith in Christ on a Tuesday night can be traced back to that lady who said that this woman is worth loving. So I just share that to say this. There's such a job that you have. There's a huge mission that you have. And Levi understood this right away. If you've encountered the best love in the world, you can't keep it to yourself. There is a mandate on your life to introduce Jesus to other people. And know that you may not reach the whole world. Like you may not change the whole world on your own, but you never know who you might reach. Guys, you never know. There could be a Peter or a Paul in your dorm. I believe there is. I believe that that the next leaders of the church are sitting in your dorms. You may never go into ministry, but there are people who are going to preach the gospel with authority and see thousands come to know Jesus. If you would be so bold to share his love with them, but Jesus is calling on you. He's saying, will you go to them? Guys, I want to see this campus reach with the love of God. My heart is lit ablaze with God's love, and I want people to, or to see him for themselves, to encounter this real Jesus that says, yes, you're more sinful and more flawed than you could ever imagine. Like, yes, it's bad. You have a bad condition. But at the same time, you're more loved than you could ever dream. Like, imagine the most love you could ever feel in your heart. Like, like it's times a billion how much I love you. That's what Jesus says to our campus. But Jesus needs us to leave our old life, to say, I'm putting those things in the past. I'm not going to live like the world. I'm going to love Jesus first and foremost. And then go out and say, I'm going to share the gospel with anyone that God puts in my path. I'm going to share the story of Jesus with anyone who God puts in my path. And I'm telling you, if you can count the cost, if you can say that during my time in college, I'm going to give everything I can to see as many people come to know Jesus, this campus will be transformed. I believe that revival is coming to our campus. Revival is just when God reaches a lot of people in a short amount of time. I believe that that's going to happen, but it's going to take us saying, yes, I'm going to count the cost. I'm going to follow in Levi's footsteps and leave everything and follow Jesus. So again, the main idea tonight is this. An encounter with Jesus causes us to leave the things that hold us back and embrace a life of mission. If you get anything from tonight's message, maybe you slept through half of it. If you got in anything from tonight's message, I want you to get this. If you really encounter Jesus, it's going to change you. So if you haven't been changed yet, ask Christ to reveal himself to you in a bigger way, in a more full way. Jesus is far too beautiful and lovely and powerful to leave you in your sins. He's far too beautiful and powerful to not change you when he comes into contact with you. This Jesus is magnetic. He's transformative. He can change your life. And I pray tonight that you would encounter the real Jesus. I pray that you would meet him for yourself. And if you're here tonight and you've never encountered Jesus, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. I want to give you an opportunity to invite him into your life. To say, I want you to be my king. 
In the very beginning, God created the world and it was good, right? It was good. Everything was good. But, but man chose sin over God and invited death and sin into our world. And since then, everything's been screwed up. Everything's screwed up. I don't know if you've been watching the news this week, but some more sad news has come out of Iowa State. This world is messed up. Sin and death abound. But God said, I'm not going to leave you that way. He says, I'm not going to leave you in your sin. Although you deserve it, I'm not going to leave you in it. And he sends Jesus Christ, his own son, to live the human life. Jesus obeys the law to a T. He lives the perfect life, but then he bears the consequences of a sinner on the cross, and he pays all of our debts. He pays all of our debts. And now, all we have to do is put our faith in Jesus. And if we do, it's going to change us. It's going to Jesus is going to forgive us because he paid the penalty on the cross. And not only that, though, then three days later, he rose from the grave declaring death and sin defeated and saying that there's a new life that's possible for you. There's a resurrection life that's possible for you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, it says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away and the new has come. That's available to each one of us because Jesus defeated death. He's purchased a new life for us, and I pray that we would walk in that tonight. So if you would stand with me, we're going to close. You can bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to give you an opportunity to respond, and then we're going to be done. If you're here tonight, and you may have heard about Jesus in the past, or maybe you followed him in the past, or maybe you've never followed him, and tonight you want to really come to know Christ for real and to really invite him to be the Lord of your life, to be the king of your life. If that's you, I want to give you an opportunity to invite him in. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to count to three. And when I do, I just want you to slip up your hand, just signaling to God that you want him to be your king. So one, two, three. Slip up your hands all across this room. Tons of hands going up, tons of hands. All right, I'm just going to pray for us. And just pray it in your heart as I pray this prayer. Jesus, I just pray tonight that you would be our king, that you'd be our Lord, that you'd be our savior. God, we pray that there be a true encounter with you tonight, that, that this just wouldn't be religion, that this wouldn't be just saying, hey, I'm going to do better next time, but instead that this would be life transformation, that the old would be gone and the new would come. Jesus, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us tonight in a profound way. And the second way to respond tonight is this. If you're here, but you want to commit to giving your life to seeing other people come to know Jesus. If you want to make that commitment tonight before the King of Kings and say, Jesus, I'm going to tell everybody about you that I can. Can you slip up your hand right now, signaling to God, saying, yes, I'm weak, yes, I'm incapable, but God, please use me to reach my friends. All right, I'm going to pray. God, I just thank you for these students who are willing to count the cost. And God, I pray that you would put, or put, or put messages in their mouth. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take control and lead them and guide them as they come into contact with people who don't know you. And God, I pray that they would be able to preach your message and, and share your love with people. God, I pray that you would just, just deposit this boldness in our heart, this willingness to share your love with anyone who we come into contact with. In Jesus' name, amen.